Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Tons to talk about from Phil Mickelson being back, not only in the senior tour, but on Twitter. Uh, Phil's Twitter thumbs were alive and well over the past couple of days with the new decision from the RNA and the USGA uh, limiting driver length. So we'll get into all of that conversation. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of our takes on the players finally making the decision to be the number one most paid out event, non-major event, uh, which everyone calls it the fifth major anyway. So it's not really a surprise, uh, but they are the most paid out event going into 2021. We'll talk player bonuses. We'll talk tiger. We'll talk when will he play? Uh, and we'll talk everything in between Dante. The, the golf world is still buzzing uh, in October with this wraparound schedule. It seems like it never stops. It doesn't stop, but it seemed like it quiet down a little bit after the Ryder cup and all of a sudden all these headlines and stories are coming out and now you're starting to question and you're wondering and you're excited and it's let's get, you know, for us Northeasterners, let's get past these next three, four months and get ourselves back into the swing of things. And season's going to be upon us shortly. I mean, also there is, there is something that I always love about this time of year from a just golf news standpoint, um, and that it's typically, it doesn't involve the top 20 or 30 in the world. Um, so it always involves kind of a, either the no name guys or B the guys that just got their card and are finding a way to win, or at least contend. Uh, we saw it last week with Sahith the gala, uh, kind of com- competing and contending in a PGA tour event for the first time. So, um, obviously it seems like this is the time of year, the RNA and USGA always makes pretty big decisions because they roll it into the 2020 one or that next year season, like for majors. So it's always this time of year where we get some rules controversy coming out. Yeah. I mean, we got one that Phil is not too happy about. I yeah. Mean, let's dive in. Let's dive into that first, because I think it doesn't only affect Phil. Um, I think Phil at just at this point in his career has, you know, at 51 years of age, been searching for the distance a little bit more than most. And he's been kind of the most advocated for it. Um, for a longer shaft, even more than Bryson or, you know, it's kind of the other guys that are absolute bombers. Um, he played a 47 and a half inch shaft of majority of the year. Um, and even tested out almost pushing it to the limits at 48, which was the past rule. Um, now the RNA and USGA made the decision to cut two inches off of that limit, which will directly affect Phil Mickelson. Uh, saw on Twitter, it's going to directly affect Lee Westwood too. You have to wonder is it going to affect a lot of maybe the longevity of a lot of these guys that are 35 plus that we're using that extra inch and a half, two inches to kind of keep up with what is the young guns on tour right now? I don't know. Cause you know, I'm not the best with biomechanics and, and taking, cause it seemed like Phil was actually driving the ball a lot better with, with the extra, two inches added to his driver compared to something a little bit shorter. Cause then you got to like question yourself, whether it said, Oh, is that, is that making like make it's kind of him. It's Phil allowing himself to get like even a bigger, deeper turn, but not really, you know, those who are a little bit less restricted or less, less flexible, or is it kind of like this subconscious thing where, Oh, I need to get myself to turn, even though I know I can, but I have to get like, the club back because I have all this extra life. Do you know what I'm saying on that aspect? I do. There's a lot of, and I think it's a catch 22 when you get into that conversation, because I think a lot of it is mental, but at the end of the day, that extra two inches, I know from just kind of tinkering around when I got a new driver um, and tinkering with different shafts before I ended up in the one I'm in that extra inch, inch and a half sets the club so different. And you can feel the yeah. setting in your hands of, of you that just... extra inch or two it's it's different and and granted like you said it does play a big part into is it mental is it not but i will say just from a feel standpoint and phil is classically one of those all feel players it makes a massive difference into just that, being then, comfortable yeah and that what you're saying too i mean think about it if you have it sit up at the top position right I mean, yeah, that is actually two inches. I mean, the longer it is, it's going to be a little bit more, I guess you can say, bendy, more Mm -hmm. flexible. 
So you're going to, like you said, feel it. You're going to really feel that club head and the hands kind of drive that club into like a bow shape and you can kind of really feel the whip. And I think that would help him with this timing and, and it's allowing him to one, you got, you're going to create more lag with it. You got extra length into it. So the speed's going to get there. And then he's being able to time it up well, which is going to give him that extra distance. So he's keeping it up with the, with the younger guys on the PGA tour. So I don't know. I think he's pissed off about it, but then, you know, to me, I, I, I like a shorter shaft obviously because I'm a shorter player, but it, it seems like I have more control. So uh, I'm, it, it kind of sucks because I'm kind of thinking is this way, how many guys are going past 46 inches when they're playing with their driver? Well, so that's where I want to get into the way Justin Thomas answered this and a couple other pros too, uh, because obviously when this news came out, it was kind of quote unquote breaking news, even though we know that guys who follow the industry for a while, the RNA and USGA, this has been one of their hot topic talking points for a while now. Um, and it's kind of almost a shock that it took them this long to make a decision on kind of cutting some things back uh, with, with the quote unquote distance being the problem uh, as we dove into that almost a year ago to the day uh, when the RNA and USGA announced they were doing investigations into the distance. If you remember that from a year ago, Gosh, they're stupid. Um, so Justin Thomas had to say uh, in terms of, do I think it makes the game of golf and growing the game better? No, I don't at all, but it seems like the RNA and USGA have had their minds around this for a while. And it seems like an issue that they're just happy to put away and put on the back burner. He said, I've had the opportunity to play with a 47 and a 48 inch driver in the past. I put those opportunities behind me as I couldn't find the fairway as much, but that's not saying that if you wanted to put one in play and can find success with it, I don't think you should have, I think you should have the right to be able to do so. So I kind of, I kind of agree with JT there. I think obviously a lot of guys tinkered with it. And especially when the craze of Bryson putting on that 40 pounds, I think even guys that you never thought would test distance were on the range after hours testing how far and how hard it could swing. And it was almost comical to see some of the guys trying to keep up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does beg the question if they're rolling this back, what are, what else are they going to take out of the hands of, of golfers, amateur or professional that want to compete in USGA and RNA events? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, and again, it's going to be, it seems like what we talked about it before and we don't want it to happen. It seems like you're going to have a pro model versus an amateur model. And, but that's just going to cause so much complications when you're playing in like legit amateur events like usga amateur events and then you're looking your way it's kind of baseball where you go from an aluminum bat to a wooden bat it's like the only other sport that i can see where there's like a drastic change in equipment that you like you have your hands to but it i don't know i i just don't think like we've discussed off off camera and off recording is i just don't think and and phil said it too is the, there's no governing body of the players that are really kind of there's no board there's no committee there's no board for these these players kind of saying like all right you know the leaders and the organizers of this association want to basically say hey this is what we want to implement these rules mm -hmm. what do you guys think about it let's let's take it to the committee let's have them vote on it right and there's none of that they just decide oh we're throwing this in yeah, and I mean, he put it perfectly, I think, in his tweet that went out that kind of started <laughs> yeah. to go viral. Uh, he said, stupid is as stupid stupid is as stupid does, Mrs. Gump. Uh, he said, really, though, are amateurs trying their best to govern the professional game the stupid ones, or are the professionals the stupid ones for letting them govern us in the first place? Um, it does bring the question, and I think you alluded to it in what you just said, why is there not a group of professionals, either past or present, um, that get together and agree on a professional set of rules that these guys can play with every week. Um, I don't even it, think it should be passed. It should be present players every time. No pass, because guess what? It seems like the uh, USGA and the RNA are filled with past people that haven't played the professional level, and they're making all these decisions. It should just be straight-up present players get a board from – Phil Mickelson all the way down to like a rookie and throw them in there and figure this shit out. Now I'm not going to get too political, but I think 
what's happening in golf is kind of what's happening in the climate of politics today. We've muddied the water so much from what is originally right. Like the initial bylaws that if you look at a lot of these rules in golf, if you, if you go play an event and, and you talk to a rules official, there's plenty of rules that get brought up year in and year out, new rules, past rules, whatever, that even the rules officials in a, in high ranking events say, these are hypothetical rules that we've actually never seen play out. And if they do happen to play out, they're honestly very subjective and, and could go one way or the other and really aren't concrete, which makes myself think, well, if that's the way the rules written, then it needs to be addressed and maybe rewritten or just gone and, you know, gone by the wayside because golf's a simple game when you really break it down. And I think we've started to overcomplicate some things. Um, if a guy wants to bring a 48, even a 49 inch driver to the table and try and hit the fairway with it, by all means, be my guest, go out there and hit it because like most of these pros are saying they've tinkered with it. And you know what? They can't find the fairway <laughs> consistently anyway. And if you look at the long drive guys and what Bryson just did with long drive, the reason he made it through a couple of his heats was because he was simply the only one to find the freaking grid. When you're swinging yeah. that hard with that long of a club, it's tough to hit the ball straight. <laughs> I mean, you got a point. I mean, if I'm sitting here playing, you know, obviously you and I have two different games. You hit it a lot further than I am. And you're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to add a couple more inches and we're going to go to a head and head match. Right. And then you decide I'm going to add a make a 48 inch driver because i want to hit it even longer but you're spraying it into the woods left and right i'm like yo go right ahead if that's the way you choose to go your route with your game and you want to punch out all day that's fine i'll easily take your money because i'll just keep it short and straight in the middle of the fairway and play my game so it just to me it all it all comes down i think it's i think bryson's like the the modern day tiger and they're trying to tiger proof bryson's game and I think this rule was literally implemented because of Bryson and what he was saying and the fit and the fact that like Phil's like all for it. I think you've, I think you've made a phenomenal point. I think, you know, whether, you know, to call Bryson the modern day tiger, I think as, as what you're trying to say, and let, let me know if maybe I'm interpreting this wrong, but what you're saying is as far as like media hype and hype over an individual versus the game, Bryson is what Tiger was media wise to the game and like hype wise to the game back in like 2000, 2001, 2002. You're not saying that I mean, from just like a win standpoint and no, like, no, a, no. like a talent it's standpoint, a, it's a, but just it's a media a hype, standpoint. It's a hype media standpoint based on the fact that when Tiger was around, he dominated the field based on what he was doing. He was hitting it out. He was out driving everybody. I mean, he was pounding the ball. He was taking lines at nobody that no one could, normally would take and you know fast forward today you got bryson trying to go over the trees and drive the first hole on a, at augusta right and you got these purists that are like well that's not how golf's meant to be played the course is supposed to tell you how to play it and Bry and then same with like the u.s open bryson decided he goes i'm just gonna hit it as far as possible i don't care if the rough is like five you know inches thick or whatever however deep they want to take it or i can't find can't find the ball i, I don't care the closer i get i can just hack it out of there put it on the green and you know, hopefully get it close, get my birdie and move I, the hell I on. do think, and, and I think this is a massive factor of it. When you look at what Bryson did at the U S open at Wingfoot, I think the USGA was just appalled at what he did. And I think the RNA basically went right along and said, not at our championship, no mm -hmm. way. So I yeah. think, I think you're spot on with what you're saying. I mean, especially with like the RNA in the open, right? Look at that. Like these courses now, I'm not saying they're, they're easy, but a lot of pros say what comes in the factor is the fact that when the wind picks up and the weather is crappy, that's what makes the open, the open. <laughs> but when you have like three, three, four straight days of 65, 70 degree weather and the, and the wind's still, the ground's still hard, the ball, they're just driving two irons all over the place and they're just chipping up and they, they become chipping putts. And, and, and that's what a lot of players have said. So you're sitting there thinking, wow, like, oh, we don't want Bryson to do that, where he's just going to bomb it all over the course and win. So what are we going to do? He talks about adding inches to his driver and being able to hit it even further. So they're like, well, he, if he's doing that, we're going to stop it and stop it for everybody. Yeah, it just, I, I, I agree. I think it's, 
I, th- I think it's just wild to think about too, like what's next, right? Because then obviously this has been the talk, the talk, the talk for almost two, three years. Um, where do they go from here? Because obviously they're happy with this decision from an internal standpoint of like, all right, hey, we're a rules committee. We made this call. It's right. Let's move forward. Um, Justin Thomas made a great point, which I think is is probably their next talking point on the table. Um, will they look at arm lock as the next anchoring? quote unquote, right? Like, cause you, there's a lot of guys out there right now arm locking, but it's not considered anchoring. So technically they're getting by. Will that be the next discussion? Justin Thomas says, I think, think conversations like that should have been had before limiting the driver length. Um, and, and then I guess an open question too, because I can't think of any, are there any other questions or rules kind of debacles that you think the RNA or the USGA might go after now that this big kind of ticket item is behind them. What scares me is the, the, the ball. They're like, all right, we got the driver. And I just feel like they're just, they're like, we're going to, I feel the ball change is going to happen. Like as much as people don't want it to. And the game is all about excitement and, and distance. It's like, why well, go backwards when we've done so we've taken so many steps forward. Here's the only way I can see it happening. Um, <clears throat> and it's going to, it's going to be a fight like hell. They're going to have to scratch and claw the major ball manufacturers to do it. They're going to have to scratch and claw an amateur versus professional delineation, right? Like where, do, where, where does the amateur play stop and the pro begin? Is it only like, is it only a major league baseball, right? Like major league baseball has its own ball. They develop yeah. and make their own ball every year. So they make changes as to govern their own body. Does it, does a PGA tour ball come out? Do you go to an RNA sanctioned event and have to play their ball? Um, you know, a lot of possibilities, a lot of, a lot of interesting similarities. If you start that ball talk of what they could do based on other big, you know, conglomerates, MLB, NBA, NFL, they all do have their own ball. It's specialty to the, to the organization. So it could happen like that. I can see it I, I breaking think, down like that. I just think it's different because when you're, there's one ball, there's like one brand that they're playing with, especially in a game. Like, yeah, there may be multiple brands made, but the entire game, mm-hmm. one ball is played. Well, now you have like, let's just say you have a, a field of 50 guys. You got 50 guys playing. It's 50 different balls that they're playing. Granted, some can be different. So I it, it's going to be tough for them to hit what's next. But at the end of the day, I think they're going to go after equipment regardless. They're going to go after something equipment-based that they're going to change. And it's going to piss off the manufacturers and the retailers because basically if they do that, and it's like, the, this, like we've talked before, this is the only sport where you and I can go out and play and the equipment we play in are playing is like the same exact thing that the pros are playing. Like that's the number one on beauty about our sport. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going out on a Sunday round while the pros are playing their Sunday round. We're playing the same exact thing, just different courses. Right. So it's going to piss off a lot of retailers and manufacturers and they're going to be putting up a fight, but they're going to go after equipment one way or the other. Maybe they shrink the CCs of this, of the, the driver head. But then again, like everything that you go back, you go after on the equipment standpoint, you're just basically taking everything that you made and then you just got to like throw that away and start over because I can guarantee you every amateur is going to be going out and get the latest next, next driver that comes out. And they're, they're like, I want to play with what Rory McIlroy is playing with, what John Rahm's playing with, what every tour pro is playing with. They're going to go out and play with that. And especially those kids that are growing up playing legit tournaments and they say golf's my life and i'm going to make it on tour they're going to put that quote-unquote tour equipment in their bag well and it's like it's the way justin put it perfectly justin thomas put it perfectly you know they're beginning to you know they want to talk about growing the game but when you when you make decisions like this that make it less exciting uh less fun uh you're beginning to detract the all and like kind of awesomeness from the game at an amateur level, when you start to think about decisions like that, like limiting the ball, like limiting the CCs on the driver. Um, if it's gonna, if it's gonna carry over from professional to amateur level, you're gonna detract 
a good portion of people from saying, Hey, I'll pick the game up because so-and-so is using this equipment. And then all of a sudden when they do pick it up and find it damn near impossible, cause they're not a professional golfer, almost impossible to hit or to hit straight or to have fun with, then you're going to detract from the game overall and the growth of the game. But you and I both said something before, and I think this is, this might start to hurt the game. If it continues to go this way, it seems like the PGA tour um, is starting to not so much quote unquote, grow the game as much as it's grow the PGA tour now. And it's detracted from the greater betterment of the game overall. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of like, the PGA tour is kind of secluding themselves from the rest of like the overall tour themselves and making this exclusive thing. And it's something that we discussed too. And you mentioned it, how I think, and like you think, I mean, I agree with you is the PGA tour, just that little section, that little sector, not all the rest of it freaked out when someone else challenged their I guess you could say superiorness because they were always like, we are the tour. And then someone came out and all these players had interest. And now you see the PGA tour doing all these different things to kind of one up everybody. When in reality, it's like, why are you trying to do that when everybody else has the same goal in mind? And that's collaborating and growing the game rather than, you know, having this tight inner little inner circle. Well, and it, I think it all started from when they got challenged by the Premier Golf League. Like when, when that Premier Golf League came about and had big talks of, you know, kind of snatching the biggest names and paying them a boatload of money. Um, I think it's what inspired the incentives uh, that you see a lot of from the PGA Tour now with the, not only the, you know, quote unquote, Instagram, Twitter, most searchable incentives. Um, they came out, PJ tour just rolled out this year. If you play in at least 15 events, it's an automatic 50 grand bonus. Um, doesn't count towards, you know, your overall winning. So it won't affect like players making or not making their tour card for next year, but it's just a 50 grand bonus for playing in at least 15 events. Um, it, I, I think they, they realized that if they didn't step up in some way and, and which we see which way they mean monetarily, um, then, then they were going to be challenged by other world, you know, kind of world factors, whether it was a European tour or this premier golf league, which still has yet to actually form. Um, they got challenged a little bit and it, it hurt their ego a lot. I, th- I think it did. And I can, obviously these guys are playing the win and they're playing for money, but even Rory said it, he like doesn't really care. He wants to win. He wants to win trophies. Like his goal out there is the freaking win. And I know he said he could care less about the, the p uh the premier league right and it seems like the pga is trying to go after such a big monetary value and i and i kind of agree with the rory side of thing and as a view as a viewer and a fan i just want to see more golf being covered way better like i I, and that and i think these these lower end tour i wouldn't even call them lower end these like developmental tours are showing that it's it's developmental is the perfect word yeah we just want to see the tours being covered correctly i mean and like the courses and the players and people just want a better view like a viewing ship of the court like the course well, and like it, right the way like it's being played do, it's, do these tour pros that are on the pga tour really need an extra 50 grand at no. the end of the day no but you look at tours that just popped up this year because of covid and because of that canadian border versus united states border kind of conflict um the four the four me tour came up this year and was incredible now I'm looking at some of these, you know, purses and it's 110,000, 115,000. Like, what if you put all that money that you keep incentivizing these already millionaires 10 times over and you put it into these tours, like the for me tour, you put it into globalizing the sport as far as a watcher or a viewership standpoint, we talk every week, how the coverage sucks and we don't see enough college golf. We don't see mm-hmm. enough amateur golf. What if you put that money into the infrastructure to build viewership at an amateur and like for me and corn fairy tour level, it would do uh, world of difference. You think I give a shit about Brooks Kepka getting an extra 50 grand. Cause he played 15 <laughs> events. I don't give a shit. You think I Brooks Kepka gives an, a shit about 50 grand for 15 yeah. events. Hell Dude, no. 
a couple of years ago when JT won the uh, the tour championship and got that 10, 15 million or whatever, his dad said something. Oh, that check came in the mail. He goes, oh, I totally forgot about that. JT doesn't even care. These guys are out to win tournaments. And as you and I like to view golf, we want a great viewing experience when we're out watching the best of the best play. And mm-hmm. that's where they need to invest their damn money is how do we give these guys a better experience when they're watching our tour? And it just drives me nuts. I mean, like you said, form or for me tour, however the hell you want to say it. They did it right. I mean, they were playing in courses in Springfield, Pennsylvania, which is not too far from my area at Rolling Green. I found that out like the Saturday, like, cause I guess they did a Wednesday and a Saturday tournament. Yep. Obviously I had other <laughs> obligations. Damn. Like I would have loved to go on over there, watched it, watch these guys play and watch these guys play. Like that's another thing, man. They, they need to put these guys in like, courses like that because it's like oh i i've always and i know there's so much logistical issues and things that have to go into it but i've always wondered every time i step on the my course i said this course would be so sick to watch and one player that came to mind all the time was watch bubba watson get around <laughs> running deer like that would be like so much fun to watch like that's what you need you need to put that type of focus in that area rather than Oh, Bubba Watson played 15 uh, tournaments this year. Oh, here's some money for right. him. Like, well, and it's like you said, they even played up in at Huntsville in Dallas, Pennsylvania, which is pretty dang close to where we both went to college in Scranton. And mm-hmm. and I always was, you know, kind of very notoriously known Huntsville for being a pretty difficult course that hosted some local and like amateur events and, and whatnot and, and was pretty difficult. So it would be really interesting to see what, you know, these tour pros play at something that I considered locally difficult right or does locally difficult translate to nationally difficult it's always fun to see that comparison we're seeing these guys i mean i know they had it when it was a nationwide tour and again bubba watson played it (laughs) glenn marr of course you and i both know that was literally right around the corner from our school like being able to see that on tv and seeing those guys play that course like that would be so sick like that's something that i think they need to focus in on and it's focusing on these developmental tours because they're playing some some pretty sick tracks and there's so many courses out there that are just hidden that can hold these types of events and if you can get right. them televised it's going to be just insane that's well, it's like it's like it's like money. we said right so those purses and i say purses not like the winner gets this amount of money purses total purses for the entire championship is one hundred twenty-five thousand. the winner walked away with twenty-two thousand. now while i'm saying still a good chunk of money for a golf tournament but if you added the fifty thousand dollars that every tour pro that plays 15 events is going to get that that's a lot of money and these these tour pros we talked about it with the guys we've had on from mickey demorat to isaiah logue to josh sedona everyone we've talked to that is chasing the dream it's tough and they're damn near broke because maybe they win this week and get twenty thousand dollars They've most of these guys at this level, because they're getting ready to break through, hopefully have an agent, have a caddy, have travel expenses, A, B, C, and D, have a trainer, have a nutritionist or something along the lines. Not all guys are like Josh Sedona and can make a rotisserie chicken last a week, but you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's tough sledding for these guys on a shoestring budget. And even 10 to 15 grand is gone in a couple of weeks because of entry fees for these tournaments. Entry fees and, for the four me tour and the corn Ferry tour are like tw- two and a half grand just to get in, just to show and, up. Yep. And you, you hit the nail on the head right there is the fact that it's the entry fees that kill these guys the most. And they live like this low budgeted, poor lifestyle of on like ramen and like the college lifestyle that we lived in, <laughs> lived on, you know, Mac and cheese bowls and PB and J's and granola bars and ramen that we constantly kept in our, in our drawers just to be able to whatever money that because you know you and i i don't know if you worked while you're up there i mean i i grabbed a couple like a little delivery pizza job here and there but you know we both played sports and you had a a heavily invested major so you were constantly like on the run i mean these guys are living that type of lifestyle just so they can any money that they bring in they can utilize for the next tournament because the more you play you're probably going to have a better success rate on getting on tour than for someone who's like, I'm going to play an event here. or I'm going to play an event there only because I don't really have the money. 
Yeah, I mean, every time you look around, um, these guys that are chasing it are truly and, and embody the term chasing it, right? Like they're at Monday qualifiers. If they don't qualify at this place, they're hopping in the car and going to a mini tour event somewhere to hopefully make some cash. Like everything about that until you get to even the top 25 in the corn ferry, you know, then you start making money because the corn ferry has got a lot of investment in it money-wise now, but it didn't always used to be that way. Um, outside of maybe 200 golfers in the world, these guys are shoestringing it. And I would love, love, love. I don't, I don't think we're going to see it anytime soon, but I would love for the PGA tour to kind of take a step back and realize like these guys at the top don't need that extra little bit of money. It can be facilitated in so many other directions. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it just makes me think like our discussion, you got the premier golf league or whatever the hell it's called mm-hmm. versus the PGA tour. And the PGA Tour is doing all these things to make them say that they're number one. I wonder if they're kind of competing against themselves with their developmental tours. Thinking that maybe we don't want to invest the money into these developmental tours because what if they take over and now they're the top priority? But I I think think they're just so, I don't think they think open-minded to where they're just so. I think if they realized, if they realized that they have a stronghold on golf in the united states they could treat it like a feeder system like the nba has the g leagues like major league baseball has single a double a triple a if they treated it like that and truly reinvested in infrastructure reinvested in in in, you know down the line i think then it could work but i think what you're saying is too and here's the catch 22 of it because they are the superpower and they are kind of competing with themselves as far as tv time and and whatnot I think if you go down the list of even the top 300, 400 players and look at what they want to chase, they don't want to chase a premier golf league because there's no history there. There's no major championships there. It's a league that is solely based around making money. And I think at the, at the core of most of these guys, they're playing golf, not because of the money. It's because they want a legacy. And I think there's a massive difference there, which draws a lot of these guys to the PGA tour because it's been around so long and it has the heritage and the history that it does. I mean, look at Tiger Woods, for example. He's constantly just chasing the Masters because he wants to one-up Jack on the Masters jackets. You think he gives a rat's ass about the prize money on what it what it holds or this these bonus incentives? Like, and I think gonna... you bring up a guy right there, which <laughs> is what everyone else is chasing to begin with. Everyone isn't chasing wins on some other tour to tie tiger woods tiger woods won 82 times on the pga tour and that's what people are trying to break yeah it's it's not the pgl or the european tour you don't see got you see european tour pros coming to the pga tour you don't really see it much the other way around because there's such a longevity and a history in the pga tour that i don't think they're ever going to compete with anybody else even if some of these big tours pop up and try and take over and I just don't think that the ones behind the scenes making these decisions are realizing that. And you're right. It, they're going after, I mean, look at the PGA tour and look at all the accolades and the trophies and the events. And like you said, the history, I mean, you can just go on, go on and on and on about what's out there. Right. And everything leads back to the PGA tour. And these guys want to basically, you had Rory come on the scene. He's I want to win. Right. He goes, I want to be the next Tiger Woods. I want to be the next Tiger Woods. And like back then it was, I want to be the next Arnie. I want to be the next Jack Nichols. I want to be the next Tiger Woods. Here you go. Like people are like, I want to be the DJs of the world. Everybody wants to one-up everybody on the PGA tour and what uh, their resume has has been and said and whatnot. No one gives a shit about the Premier League because they go out they're like, oh yeah, he won five tours in the Premier League, but who cares? He won right. 25 he has 25 wins on the PGA Tour. That's still going to take precedent. Everybody's going to be I do like, think it's perfect. It's a perfect example. I think the conversation, no matter if another league pops up like that, will always just, come back to the PGA Tour, right? It's always going to be an if, and, or but. It's going to be a, well, he did this, but what did he do on the PGA Tour? Yep. So I love it, man. Let's talk a little bit about the guy you just mentioned too, Tiger Woods. Um, 
kind of got some 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 good things stirring in the media the last couple of days as people were seeing him out and about walking on his two feet. Yes, his legs are back to at least together, uh, and he they are working. He was out at uh, Charlie Woods's uh, one event out there in Florida. Uh, kind of just walking along, wasn't carrying a bag yet. So he might not be stressing the legs too much, but uh, some comments were made that he's well above schedule brings back the conversation. When do you think Tiger Woods is going to officially tee it up uh, inside the ropes at an event? You, you made mention of one in particular before the, even the end of the year in which he has an opportunity to do so. It's going to be the masters, man. He's going to be teeing it up at the masters, whether it's, this upcoming next Masters or the following one, if he decides to tee it up. I just think that's, again, he's after one thing, and he's after Jack's record. And he's he pretty much has, he goes, why don't I just focus on that? Because if I get that, that's one more jacket closer to Jack's record, and that beats the, the winning this record because it's kind of two birds with one stone mentality. That's all he cares about. And he's going to I, do whatever do he can. Like- I like the way you think. I think he's coming back a little sooner. Where? So I don't know if he will, but he's already committed to hosting his event down in the Bahamas, and they've expanded the field from 18 players to 21 players. I don't think that's coincidence. I think Tiger Woods at some point, whether he's – playing in it and may, might withdraw because he plays so horrible. We've seen him do that before. Or he just plays in it and finishes DFL, dead effing last. Um, I think he I think he goes down to the Bahamas, kicks it back with the guys, and I, I think in, in two months, I think, he's, I think he's playing. I think he plays in his own tournament, the Hero World Challenge, and um, at least sizes up. Because I think here's what Tiger does from a competitive edge. He, he doesn't just invite – you know, your half-assed tour pros down to, to hear world challenge. He invites top 20, the top 18. I think he's sizing up his competition for Augusta and he might only play in this. And then we might not see him till the masters. Um, but I, I think he plays at least once. And I think he, he's sizing up his competition. And seeing where his leg stands, even if he plays just one round. Seeing where his leg stands. I like what you did there. <laughs> yeah i think at the end of the day um if you historically look at what tiger woods has done to prepare prepare for masters now i know insanely different scenario he's never had this kind of crippling injury before other than the broken leg but that was self-induced it wasn't like a car accident it wasn't freak it, the car accident was worse than the broken leg in 2008 for the for the u.s open at tory pines would, would you would that be fair to say the car accident was worse than the broken leg at Torrey Pines? Yes, because he he rolled the car. Yeah, right. I mean, well, I, I just think from a recovery standpoint, yeah. it, it, it was trauma. It was it, a handful of things that is just so many different factors. Definitely and- traumatic. I mean, he probably shakes every time he gets um, he probably doesn't but there's that there's probably that one moment when you get back in a car where you're just like whoa Mm -hmm. and you have that exactly so i think from a standpoint of his historical comebacks he plays once or twice before the masters now where or when i don't i don't know but i think part impartially he created the hero world challenge a because he loves albany bahamas B, because he simply just likes getting together and the off chance that he kicks everyone's ass reminds everyone else in the world, Tiger's still here, baby. And, mm. and, and you're going to have to get through me to get that green jacket. Now, hypothetical. He never plays like again. We hate, we don't like those. <laughs> what, what do you think he does? It's tough, right? Um, do you think he goes in announcing or do you no. think he kind of just is like, Charlie's coach um, until he takes off. He he is historically not a fan of the media, um, so I don't think he will announce. Um, if he does every anything, um, he will kind of ghost host events like he does in the Bahamas now. He'll have his tournament um, at Congressional or somewhere in that realm, like like something like the AT and T on the in the United States side of things too. Um, he'll be a tournament host, no doubt about it, but. If you look at just the way he interacts with the media, he'll he'll never uh, he'll never 
be a, a talking figure like Phil Mickelson might end up doing or something of the sorts. Um, what I think yeah, he's going to be, do now is facilitate Charlie. Oh, Phil's Phil's going to be out there one, one of these days after he's done competing, he'll be out there. Yep. <laughs> um, but what I see tiger doing is just facilitating the shit. I think people don't realize how invested he is in Charlie Woods is like golf life. Like low key, he, he, he tries to keep a cool, cool demeanor about him saying, Oh, I just let Charlie go love the game. And, and if he falls into love with it, great bullshit. They're, they're yeah, out there. That's they're out there competing with each other. And, and Tiger wants him to be the prodigy uh, just as much as t- uh, Tiger's dad, Earl wanted Tiger I, to be dude, the prodigy. Tiger's, no doubt about dude, it. Look at all the pictures of him behind Tiger or behind Charlie Woods, dude, his arms are crossed and he is just studying him left and right up and down just trying to figure out because i mean he probably does have concern too because you are tiger woods's son so everybody's going to hold up this big you know legacy that you're going to have to you're going to have to fill some big shoes and he's going to get that pressure as he gets older which granted i mean charlie woods is charlie woods and tiger woods is tiger woods they're completely two different people but you know it's the same way with jordan's kids i mean they didn't ever really made it into the nba because i think Obviously, they didn't really have to um, because of, of Jordan's success. But also at the same time, I feel like they just deep down, they had this pressure that they had to fill the shoes of their of their father. It's just, but, you know, the media is always going to push and stir that because they love the attention. Right. So. And, and I think, um, I just think at the end of the day, um, whether Charlie competes or not at like a collegiate level or a professional level, um, Tiger will be there in support way more than we realize. I think he's already there way more than we realize from just a teacher standpoint, a mentor standpoint, but a father standpoint, you know, um, I think Tiger, the way he talks about his kids, he's going to make sure he's the best father he can be. Um, and, and, you know, but hypotheticals alone, I hope he's far from done in his playing career. And I think he hopes he's far from that as well. I think so. I he's still got a look. He's got some um, some gas still left in the tank. No doubt about it. I'm I'm excited to see um, when he does tee it up again because um, it just it's better for the game. I mean, <laughs> we talked about it at, during the Ryder Cup episode, but there's so much greatness in the game right now on the United States side of things. When you bring back almost like a a holy Art Dow figure, then Tiger Woods into the picture with Dustin Johnson with Bryson with Brooks with Xander. I mean, that's just, that's there, there, there might be ratings shattered. If Tiger Woods comes back in at the height of all these other guys' careers that might never, ever be topped again. I, I, I'm not disagreeing. Even <laughs> if he comes out and plays like absolute dog shit, people are going to come and watch Tiger Woods. It's just, it's just simple facts right there. No doubt about it. Well, I know the next time I'm teeing it up uh, in a tournament event, and that's the Palm Springs Golf Championship. Yes. You know, you're teeing it up as well. Uh, we're excited there. to get out there and play in Palm Springs at PGA West, the Nicholas and the stadium course. Um, guys, if you're interested in signing up with us to go play PGA West Nicholas and PGA West stadium course a week before the pros tee it up at the Amex, January 9th through the 12th, go to fungolfvacations.com and sign up today. We've got an early bird special link in our bio that will end on October 31st. So go sign up now, get your discount while you can stay in play packages. So grab a friend, um, double occupancy rooms or double occupancy apartments. So go grab a friend, go out to Palm Springs, join us January 9th through the 12th uh, and experience really a I would say it, it, it's called fun golf vacations for a reason. It's a competitive tournament. Yes, there are gross and net divisions. Yes. Um, but just come out and enjoy camaraderie. It's going to be a full field. So we kind of played in a limited field event last year, which was still a lot of fun. Um, I'm ready for the party aspect side of Palm Springs golf championship this year with probably over 200 players. It's going to be a blast. Um, women's divisions available as well. So ladies bring some friends out as well. You can compete in gross and net divisions in the ladies divisions as well. Um, like I said, link in our bio at enjoy the walk pod on Instagram. So go check that out and join us out at Palm Springs golf championships in 2021 or 2022. So Dante, we've talked about Phil from voicing his opinion on the 
shortening of the driver. Um, we've got to talk about Phil from just being a player on the senior tour. Uh, he's, I, I would say, probably one of the most electric players on the senior tour right now. It seems like anytime he tees it up, he competes for a win. It's, it's insane. Like, I, I, I just want to know, I mean, I don't really think it's the length because we discussed this before. They don't, they're really not that shortened when they play compared to the uh, the regular tour guys. It just, he just comes out and somehow wins. Like, what the hell is he doing there that he can't do on the PGA tour? And don't say age because Tom Brady's out there still kicking ass. It's not age. It's mentality. It's a hundred percent mentality. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, Mickelson was quoted after his win saying, you know, cause they asked him, they said, what do you really see that the difference is between the PGA tour and the champions tour and why you're finding so much success on the champions tour. He says, well, you know, when I step out in the regular tour, there's so many new young, fresh players that I don't even know two thirds of the players out there on tour. There's so many young guys. And I think mentally that gets to Phil. I think we talked about this before, but it's, it's kind of the old boys club. When, when Mickelson goes to the senior tour, he recognizes the players. He feels more comfortable around the players. And he knows he's whooped up on a lot of these guys on the senior tour for the greater half of 20 years. So I think there's just a confidence and comfort level when, when Phil steps inside the ropes at a Champions Tour event. It's just not there at a PGA Tour level because there's guys like Victor Hovland. There's guys like Matt Wolf, There's guys like Colin Morikawa that are fresh out of college and 20, uh, 25 years younger that are kicking his ass. It's like he knows his scouting report. <laughs> he's watched the tapes. He knows he, the film. Right. He's he's knows the film. He's studied the film. He knows it like the back of his hand. He knows who he's going up against. So he knows what these guys' tendencies because he's played with them for years. I can I can see that because when he goes on the PGA tour and he gets, I don't know, Joe Schmo over here who just got his card, but he's been killing it. He probably isn't paying attention too much. And next thing you know, he's whooping his ass. It feels like, wait a second. You know, he just gets like blindsided. That makes like that does make a lot of sense. I mean, he he knows he knows his opponents, so that's interesting to see. Um, I mean, it's just it's kind wild. of funny if if you would have asked when when Phil Mickelson, you know, basically committed to the Champions Tour, how he would have succeeded. I think when you look at guys like Bernhard Langer, when you look at guys like. Uh, Miguel Angel Jimenez, you look at just the rest of the field, they're pretty good field, right? You wouldn't expect him to have a 75% win rating through four tournaments. He's won three out of four. Uh, it's just absolutely absurd to think about. Um, it begs the question, Bernhard Langer seems to have just taken control and eaten everyone's lunch and dinner on the champions tour for almost a decade is, is still the next coming of champions tour greats do we think that he's he sat second to so many people for so long in his career on the pga tour that his true time to shine is going to be on the pga champions tour i think he's going to do both as long as he possibly can phil's just a competitor and just loves playing golf and whatever he can do to continue playing competitively he's going to do that i, I just don't he's going to be he reminds me of the golf version of Tom Brady. Tom Brady wants to play uh, until he's, what, 50 years old? I, I can see Phil trying to tee it up when he's pushing 70, trying to compete against these guys and still trying to hit it further, outdrive everybody. I, it, Phil's just not going to stop until I someone mean, tells him he can't play anymore. So it's kind of cool. Even when asked about it, um, Phil said he's got at least two more um, PGA champions tour events in mind by the end of the year um, still says he'll play in as many PGA tour events as he possibly can. And what he qualifies for um, saying it would be really great to be able to achieve PGA tour um, finals status, as well as PGA tour champions finals, like their end all be all event at the year. So he's still got goals to play in both. And I think it's exciting to see. We see guys do it in the past where Jim Furyk still tees it up inside the ropes every now and then the PGA tour Jerry Kelly, Ernie Els, even Miguel Angel Jimenez shows up at PGA Tour events or European Tour events and, and goes out and plays. So um, it's it's exciting for the PGA Tour champions. I think to have guys like Furyk, Ernie Els, Jim Kelly, or Jerry Kelly, 
Jimenez, um, Freddie Couples, even like to see those guys, the greats, the classic names out there week in and week out. Um, and then to add Phil Mickelson to the mix is um, it's got to be great for their numbers and their ratings. Definitely. I mean, how many people do you think look at the past few uh, champions tour events that we're playing? Phil goes into this one and I can guarantee the ratings were just like 10 times higher than what normally they are. I mean, I even kind of, from where I was, I know it was a little remote and um, said other ob- obligations this past weekend, you know, kicking off, finalizing the wedding season. Oh my goodness. Was it a lot this year? Uh, attendance wise. You and me both uh, brother. October right? was brutal. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I was like, wow, like I tried to do whatever I can to kind of just stay in tune to see what the hell he was doing. Yeah, you and me both, man. Well, it's 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 going to be fun to watch um, as Phil plays back and forth. I think because anytime it's must see TV when Phil Mickelson plays, um, but when he plays on the PGA Champions Tour for the rest of this year, even um, it's kind of like all right, um, he's like seventy five percent win ratio. So will he win again? Uh, will he dominate? Will will the dominance continue? Uh, and it's going to be exciting to see that run in the last two two months of this year and, and see if he can keep that up or not. Yeah, he's definitely going to be utilizing these tournaments to prepare himself for the majors. And that begs the question, too. He is reigning PGA champion. That he, we, he will. If you, if you weren't reminded by his many tweets, his many Instagram lives, and uh, I think any other opportunity that Phil Mickelson has been able to tell you, he is reigning PGA champion. Do we think Phil has an opportunity to win another major in 2022? Yes. And which major do we think that'll be? I'm going the U.S. Open. I think he'll get it done. I would love nothing more than to see a 52-year-old Phil Mickelson take home the U.S. Open Championship. I mean, I'd love nothing. That's more. what I'm rooting for. But I can see him getting another green jacket. I mean, I'm I'm telling you this: golf is in such an incredible place right now. When you talk about people who can just compete, um, I mentioned it a little earlier about like if Tiger would come back, the ratings would be sky high because of what's going on in American golf right now. You throw in European golf to that, obviously, because they're just going to be there in majors. Dude, I love golf right now. Golf is just so phenomenal to watch right now, especially at major championship venues. So anyway, guys, uh, we're headed out. We're headed out this Friday to Boston Scott's new retail space uh, opening up, like I said, this Friday from at five o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So come out and join us. They're having an open house of sorts uh, featuring live music, cocktails provided by Workhouse Brewery and Freecon Farms, uh, giveaways and door prizes all night long. So you guys can get your hands on some free Boston Scott merch, some free uh, goodies that, you know, other companies are pitching in on. Um, So exciting for us to be out there in Collegeville, Pennsylvania on Friday. Come out and join us, guys. If you want to RSVP, RSVP at events at bostonscottgolf.com. Let them know you're coming. That way they can make sure they've got enough uh, food and drinks there for everyone. Um, And just come out, enjoy the event. Like we said, 5 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, at their uh, location at 9 Ironbridge Drive in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. Come out, have a good time, muck it up with everyone that supports Boston Scott um, and see their new retail space. It's pretty dope. It's right kind of right in front of their warehouse. So it's right where all the magic happens, uh, right below their, uh, I guess you'd call it showroom of sorts. So we'll be out there. Come join us, guys, at the live retail opening of Boston Scott Golf in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. So Dante, I think without further ado, we'll get into uh, the finally releasing the episode that we recorded down at Eastlake with the director of golf down there. Uh, had a fun chat with him about how the Eastlake Foundation provides not only jobs for uh, the local Atlanta economy, but is able to give back um, to the local community around Eastlake and kind of the history around Eastlake and how it was revived uh, recently from kind of a uh, decrepit lost place there in Atlanta, Georgia. So it's a great story behind it, uh, how it changed hands and how obviously now it hosts uh, one of the, the meccas of golf uh, on the PGA tour, the tour championship. So we'll get into that. Uh, and as always, guys, you can get out there, carry your clubs and enjoy the walk. 
to the Enjoy the Walk podcast. We're here live at East Lake inside the Balsam Scott Apparel trailer. Um, pumped to have the director of golf in here at East Lake. Where to start, man? Pro- property's incredible, absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's definitely not a, a bad place to come to every day. Uh, the one thing we have here is history, um, and that's any great golfer that you can ever think of has walked these fairways and played golf here. Um, we talked a little bit about it when we did the intro to this place and we drove in sat up inside, saw the captain's room, saw the Arnold Palmer memorabilia, the Ryder Cup stuff, obviously long lineage of, of history in this place. What am- amazed me was as I walked through and talked to people, it wasn't always what it is today. It, it kind of went through some hardships, and I know you've been here for 15 years, and talk to me a little bit about what you've seen since you've been here of kind of the rise of, of East Lake again, because it, it all wasn't always that kind of place. Yeah, so originally we were the Atlanta Athletic Club, um, and we operated as as athletic club until the late 60s when the whole area kind of took a turn for the worse. Crime was getting really bad. So the athletic club picked up and moved to where they are now in Johns Creek. Um, And a group of members stayed behind, bought this property from the athletic club, and we operated as Eastlake Country Club until the early 90s when Tom Cousins, who's a local real estate developer and philanthropist, um, grew up coming here and, and, and came to the area and said, you know, if I was born here now, I wouldn't have a chance. Um, so he invested a lot of his own money, bought the club, uh, hired Reese Jones to redesign the golf course to its original Donald Ross design. Um, the main floor of the clubhouse that you were in earlier today was condemned. You couldn't even go on that part. That's how bad it was. Um, so spent a lot of his own time and money and, and developed the East Lake Foundation, which goes back to the entire community. It's, it's the engine that's kind of revitalized this whole area. So our slogan is golf with a purpose, and it's special to come to work every day and, and have a purpose. You know, when you're playing golf and you're spending money here, it's going to a good cause. Um, we, we talk about golf with a purpose. We're here today because of the Jimmy G Foundation, the Kelly Obarski, 7th Annual Memorial. Um, when you see folks out here enjoying the golf course, three, four weeks after PGA stops here with the Tour Championship. How cool is it to see both both ends of the spectrum, right? Because you're seeing the greatest of the greats play these play these fairways. And, and then some of the worst of the worst. The amateurs get out <laughs> yeah. here and enjoy the same course. I think it's, it's one of the coolest spots that you could possibly be in for the game of golf. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely great, always fun to host a Tour Championship. When people come and play this golf course this time of year, they get a very good appreciation for just how good the tour players are. Um, when we have the rough up like we do now and the greens are fast, uh, it, it plays probably six, seven shots harder than it would even three, four months ago. So um, for most people, when they come out here, if they miss a fairway, they're hitting a wedge 40 yards back to the fairway because that's as far as they can advance it. So it's fun for us to get to share this, this property and this experience with a lot of people. Sure. Now, you were just talking before we, before we hit record um, – how it used to be kind of a corporate course, and it's no longer that. Touch on that a little bit of what really happens on the day-to-day here at East Lake, and what's the membership status, and you know, what what kind of goes on here at East Lake on a day-to-day. Yeah, we have a, a unique membership makeup, unlike most places in the country, I'd say. Um, when Tom Cousins bought the club, he gave everyone that was a mem- an individual member up to that point an opportunity to stay on as a member, um, and then started bringing in corporate memberships only. So. For 20-something years, the only new members we had were corporations. Um, so it was a lot of a lot of unaccompanied corporate guest play, what we call it, just people bringing clients out and things like that. And then two years ago, we started adding individual members again um, for the very first time since the mid-'90s. So we've, we've added a bunch of those guys, and it's really changed the dynamic of the club. Uh, the new member – our old members are great, and the new members are great, and the membership here really just supports everything that we do. And I think if you're a member at Eastlake, you understand the importance of giving back to the community. Sure. And, and touch on that, too, a little bit of how the Eastlake Foundation and Eastlake specifically does give back to the community, because I think that's one of the greatest parts of what is going on here at Eastlake. Yeah. I mean, when, when Mr. Cousins came in here in the mid-'90s, um, there wasn't even a grocery store in the neighborhood. So if you lived in the neighborhood, you didn't have anywhere to buy healthy food at a reasonable price. So they partnered with Publix you know 1995 whenever that was and brought them in and that was kind of the first step was like all right if we're gonna have people living here they gotta have a grocery store like you wouldn't even think about that um 
and they tore down the old housing project that the city had built and built a mixed income uh, apartment community which was half of it is uh, market rate and half of it's section eight uh, and the idea behind that is if your neighbor's getting up and going to work every day that's going to be a good influence on you um, and they have so many programs they've developed over the years the you know the drew charter school was the first charter school in the city of atlanta um, a lot of that was funded by us and our operations the tour championship has been huge in the amount of money they've donated to the community um, since they've started coming here first in 1998 um, so now the drew charter school has goes all the way from pre-k up to college they, the golf team they just had the first all african-american um, team to win a state championship in boys golf which was re really cool uh, and uh, the kids are they're one of the, it's basically one of the best schools in the state now and the kids are going to school and they're going to Georgia Tech I mean I wouldn't be able to get into half the schools these guys are going to it's incredible to think of that a golf course and a community and a membership can have that kind of impact right like when you talk about especially when it's golfers talking to someone else like a lot of folks don't understand the impact a golf course or a golf club can have in a greater community and I think the perfect example of that is Fort Mitchell. Um, it, it's incredible to see just the outreach that you guys can pour into the community and obviously the state championship happened. A pretty great uh, kind of catalyst event here that, that really put the, the, the gas on the fire per se but um, to see golf impact in a greater aspect like that is really incredible. Yeah it is and there are plenty of people from across the country that have come here and replicated this model at other places with the help of Tom Cousins, the Eastlake Foundation. Um, they've actually spun off into purpose-built schools was kind of something, a program they did to help other communities across the country. And not everybody necessarily has a, a, a golf course to be the economic engine, um, but they have three pillars that they think are the, the foundation for this program to be replicated. And they've done it, uh, I think, up to 20-something cities across the country now. Pivot a little bit because we're enjoy the walk podcast. We love talking about walking the course. There's no carts here on the course. I think that's, that's correct. Like it's one of the most incredible things here. Let's talk the caddy program for a little bit. Uh, with reading online, you guys have sometimes close to 100 or more caddies. Um, what does that do for jobs in the area? Caddy, the Evans Caddy program is very robust compared to a lot of other places in the country. It is. Um, we average probably 80 on staff throughout the year. Um, we do have golf carts. We only have five, uh, and most of the time it, they just get used by the staff. So we require everyone to take a caddy. And what that does for us is it, mainly it, we can provide enough work for our caddies that they can do this full time. Um, we do have some kids from the first tee program that come in and caddy in the summer when they have uh, free time to do so. But a lot of our guys, this is what they do year round. Um, and they're actually employees of the club here at Eastlake, where most places they're independent contractors. Here they're employees of the club, and, and that leads to a myriad of things that we can do that we think provides a better experience to our members and guests because the caddies work more often, uh, they feel like they're a part of the club, uh, and they develop relationships with all the members. So it, it's, it's a very robust but great caddy program. That's awesome. I mean, you know, when you look out and see the course, it's – there's places that you can tell carts run and there's places that you can tell they don't um, and when you just look out over the property we had a drone up in the air earlier today and just looking out over the property it's, it's pristine and I think a lot of that is because of the caddy program and only walking so uh, we love that that's pretty near and dear to our heart um, touching back on the event here today you know being able to give back to these kind of charitable organizations it seems like it's in the bloodline of what Eastlake does to be sure to give back um, when you have organizations come here like this that welcome you know people who might not have even been here before um, how does it feel to really kind of put on a show at east lake and really show what east lake is all about in the community we we take pride in it for sure um i mean we we run events all the time we we almost want to run everything from start to finish and so when we have an event like this that we we're hosting it, we want to do everything it's kind of rely on us sure. you know we want to control and provide the best experience possible from the moment your guest comes through that gate to the moment they leave. We want it to be the best golf experience they've ever had. And that is everything from the valets to the caddies to the golf shop to the food and beverage um, to how friendly the staff is. Like w We take great pride in putting on events and showcasing our golf course. Well, it shows, man. I mean, even when we were welcomed into the gates here, um, the hospitality was just 
incredible. Uh, we didn't even know where we were going to set up because of the rain and stuff this morning. Um, as you know, folks will see later, we've got the we've got the awning out. We're we're kind of hanging out, and the, and the rain has stopped. But um, the, the the staff's worked with us really well this morning to to be hospitable to us. So it's much glad to hear that. Um, appreciate the time. Uh, as we look forward to wrapping up this event, getting in, getting some dinner. Uh, I know you guys will uh, be the best in the business. So <laughs> thanks again for the time. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule today because I know you guys got other things. Absolutely, it's uh, happy to be here and talk about East Lake anytime so uh, thanks for having me on as always guys you can get out there share your clubs Stop one shot at a time.